Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Mike Tizia, and I'm joined again today by Joe Anity. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. Good to be here with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this episode. Uh, well, I, I look forward to all of them, I guess, but this one is uh, timely. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good to jump in this different topic a little bit. And... Yeah, we've been in Calvinism for a while. Uh, we did have that episode on assurance, which mm-hmm. was kind of connected to the doctrines of grace in a way doctrine of salvation but now uh, on to uh different things yeah so today today we're talking about associations and specifically we're talking about why emmaus a christian fellowship is seeking to join the southern california um association so, yeah of reformed, of reformed Baptist Baptist churches <laughs> i wanted to just say the quick scar bcs but uh, no one knows that. <laughs> southern california so. association of reformed baptist churches and the way we get at that quick is to say scar bc because even the acronym doesn't work you know you can't just say scar I, yeah yeah that's not okay scar bc <laughs> is the, at the end <laughs> okay there um, you go yeah so so on that, on that, uh, we can start with just what is the status of uh, Emmaus joining an association? Yeah, we. I mean, in, in a sense, we've been talking about this for like five years. Yeah, I would say we've been talking about it really seriously for three. I'm guessing, um, being pretty deliberate about looking in upon this particular association of churches. Um, that has been ramped up in the past year, and then it was just a month or so ago that we finally submitted a formal application to join SCAR BC. Um, we've submitted that application through um, Christ Reformed Baptist Church down in Vista with Pastor Renahan and Walter, um, and so they passed that along to the association. We heard back from them; they all, you know, they've been informed, and then. Um, the delegates from those churches, from the Scar BC churches, are going to be meeting on March 9th for one of their regularly scheduled meetings. It's like a, a gathering of the elders primarily. Um, and then we will be presented then. And to be honest with you, I don't know how it's going to go on March 9th. Uh, we're going to be there. So when I say we, I think maybe four of us. You, you, you're thinking about going, Mike. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, Steve is thinking about going, one of our elders, and then also Phil one of our elders. So there might be four of us there. Um, I don't know what to expect if they're going to quiz us, um, <laughs> uh, if they're going to vote on the spot, you know, or if that's something they put off to another time. Um, we'll see, but it could be March 9th that things are finalized. And then on March 13th, there is that, uh, that, that gathering together of the Southern California churches for worship Sunday, March 13th in the evening. Um, and so that might be significant for us too, in terms of being formally presented. And that's in La Mirada, right? La Mirada. Again, I, I don't know um, exactly how this all rolls out, but it, it could be as early as March that we're um, coming yeah. into the association. And, and nothing's set in stone, by the way. We're recording this. It, it could be that this doesn't work out. I don't know. I don't know of anything that would hinder it, um, but yeah, it's not a done deal yet. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Well, we talked about when we kind of started to have this desire, but where where did this desire to join a, an association come from? I remember having these conversations from the start when we when we started Emmaus back in June of 2011. Um, I remember this being an early conversation that we were having that we are not really in favor of remaining purely independent as a church, right. you know, just all on our own. Um, we had, 
talked about desiring being a part of some sort of association, some sort of formal association just from the start. And it has a lot to do with what we came out of. Um, you know, we, we were we were kind of born out of controversy. We were born out of a church split. Um, and uh, I, I remember that the elders who uh, were a part of starting Emmaus um, just thinking to themselves, man, wouldn't it have been nice to uh, have some support, some accountability, someone to go to outside of the local church for help, you know, in the midst of yeah. that controversy, in the midst of that, that trouble. Um, it, it could have been really helpful, you know, yeah. in, in getting us through that uh, turbulent time. And that was our desire was to make it through the turbulent time and to remain uh, with, the th- with the church that we came out of. But um, it just couldn't happen. And I think a part of the reason for that is there was just, there, there was nothing outside of, of the local congregation, no, nobody to go to. And, um, so the, I think the desire, I, I kind of wish I could say the desire came purely from the Bible and exegetical, uh, you know, <laughs> grounds. I think there are, Oh, we'll get to that question. Yeah. There are biblical bit. reasons here, you know, but in all honesty, it, it was more of an experience thing, just seeing that it, it's not, it's not really wise to just be all on you. Just just as for you as a Christian, it's not good for you to walk alone. Um, there's a lot of biblical reasons for that, obviously, but it's not wise. So too, I think, for local congregations, it's not wise to be alone without accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, on on that, you mentioned you know scripture basis, but let's let's talk about that. What what do the scriptures have to say about associations and this kind of thing? Yeah, I think a, a careful reading of the. New Testament um, makes it very difficult to insist upon a purely independent church model. I mean, you, you see that uh, in the book of Acts in particular, right? The gospel's going forth, the apostles are, are, are preaching, churches are being planted, the local congregations are, are being established, and those local congregations consist of members and officers, we might call them. There's, there are members of the church and there are also elders and deacons being appointed within the church. So that's clear. Um, the way the Great Commission is to uh, be fulfilled is through evangelism and church planting efforts and in particular the establishment of churches that have members and officers, you know, elders and deacons and members in those churches. So that's clear. But you also see that these churches were not isolated you know, unto themselves, but they were certainly involved with one another, very substantially involved with one another. Um, I think probably the most obvious example of this is found in Acts 15, where there were some doctrinal or theological um, controversies that needed to be dealt with, uh, especially over the issue of circumcision and whether or not Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be in Christ and, and all of that. And what did the churches do? It, it wasn't left entirely to the individual congregations to sort out on their own, but churches came together. You know, delegates were sent and um, there was a council. I think the thing that makes Acts 15 a little unique is that the apostles were there, which is a dynamic that's not present in. Uh, in the modern church, uh, the the apostles were eyewitnesses of Christ and had unique authority. You know, right. um, that's another conversation for another time, I guess. Um, but the point is this: that the local churches gathered together, um, elders from the local churches gathered together to determine what to do. Uh, so that's one example. Um, 
you know, we could talk about the letters of Paul um, that were clearly circular letters. And what I mean by that is they were meant to be distributed um, amongst many churches. So those churches clearly had a relationship with one another, right? If they were to be passing uh, these letters from Paul and the apostles on to one another. So uh, like in Galatians chapter 1 verse 2, Paul is addressing all the brothers uh, who are with me are, are, are writing to the churches of Galatia, uh, Galatia in the Greek there. It, that, that's referring to a region, not a city. It's not the church in Galatia, but it's the churches of Galatia, of this region. So Paul's writing to these churches, and the assumption is that these churches have um, association one with one with another, mm. um, you know. I think also of the fact that Paul went around and he gathered funds for the church in Jerusalem that was struggling. Um, that's also clear. That was a part of his missionary endeavor. The church in Jerusalem was under persecution. Uh, there was famine. There, there was poverty. And what did Paul do as he traveled around except collect money from one church after the next in order to bring relief to the Christians who were living in and around Jerusalem? I mean, that that's associationalism. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, that that that's the model there, that we are to be concerned for one another, we're to help one another, we're to partner together in some respects, not violating the independence of each, each local church. That remains, but um, there has to be cooperation. And to me, the, the image that comes to mind uh, when I think of the importance of associating one with, one with another is uh, the image that we see in the opening of the book of Revelation where Christ is there and he is walking in the midst of those seven lampstands, which represent seven churches. You know, so so it's Christ walking in the midst of his church and inspecting his church and bringing comfort to his church. Um, his church is a universal thing. There is one church of Christ ultimately, and yet it manifests itself in local congregations throughout a particular region or throughout the world, and yet Christ is the the bond, you know, that mm -hmm. he's the common denominator that links all of those churches together, really, um, one with another. Uh, so I think that I think the New Testament is just abundantly clear that, yes, uh, local churches, uh, Christians are to be members of local churches, for sure, uh, with, with elders and deacons active within those churches, but those churches are to have significant relationship with one. I'm not talking about, you know, yeah, my pastor meets with another pastor in a prayer group once every week or month or something. I mean, that's good too, but, but significant, uh, interaction with other mm -hmm. congregations, mm -hmm. um, deep, deep bonds need to be there. Yeah. I think this might be the biggest question people would have, uh, is is how do associations differ from denominations and why like that's a huge important question so i'm glad we're going to talk about that yeah i would imagine most people haven't even heard of associations yeah. they've heard of denominations mm -hmm. though right and when you think of denominations you might think of uh, the southern baptists i went to a, a southern baptist school for my undergrad at cal baptist university that, that's a southern baptist school uh, you might think of the Methodist denomination or Assemblies of God or Assemblies of God, um, uh, you know, on the Presbyterian yeah. side, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church or the uh, uh, the Reformed Church of America or something like that. Those are those are denominations. We're talking about something different here. Uh, we're not we're not joining a denomination, but association. Uh, 
um, the similarity is obvious. Uh, denominations do the same thing as associations in that they seek to bring local congregations together, right, to form some right. unity. I think that's to be applauded. Um, associations differ, though, in that they address the question, where does the authority reside a little bit differently? I think that's the central question. Where does the authority reside? Uh, there are two possible answers to it, as, as long, at least as it pertains to what we're talking about here. The authority either resides within the denomination or the presbytery, right? Or it resides within the local church, mm-hmm. you know? And I and I get it. Uh, that's that's a super simplistic way of presenting this. So I could just hear some of my Reformed Presbyterian brothers right now getting all, you know, hot and bothered about what I just said there. <laughs> I'm not trying to misrepresent anybody, but I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. Where does the authority reside? Um, does it reside within the denomination within the presbytery, or does it reside within the local church itself? And when I speak of local church, the local church, I'm talking about uh, the church in its entirety meaning the members together with um, the officers of the church, the elders and deacons mm-hmm. acting together in, 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 that, um, in that context. Um, so here, here are some practical questions that might help to get uh, an answer to that question that I've just asked. Where does the authority reside? We might ask, who owns the building? Hmm. Well, for us, that doesn't really apply, does it? Because we yeah. don't have a building. <laughs> <laughs> But Lord willing, if we ever do, who, who owns it? Um, a more spiritual question, who appoints or removes pastors, elders, and deacons? Who's in charge of that? Uh, who who does church discipline ultimately? Where does the buck stop? You know, if there is a case of church discipline, who handles that? Um, who decides on doctrinal issues or issues of practice within the church? So these are the kinds of questions that I'm thinking about. Um uh, and so where where does the buck stop with these things? Mm-hmm. Okay. Typically, and this is a stereotype and not a very precise answer, I get I get it that there's a wide variety of denominations and there's a wide variety of of presbyteries out there. But typically in denominations or presbyteries, the buck stops with them. And, right. and to, to to one degree or another and not with uh, the local church, but it is our view that the buck stops with the local church. It is the responsibility of the elders and deacons and, and the members of a church to deal with these issues that we've just um, talked about here. The case study it, that is usually usually brought up by we Reformed Baptists who believe in associations and not denominations is the issue of church discipline. Okay, If you think of it, there's Nothing really more serious, you know, than the issue of church discipline uh, that takes place within within the church. And when you look at the New Testament, you find that when it comes to the issue of church discipline, the buck stops with the local church. Um, so there, in that famous passage in Matthew eighteen, you remember we're ta- we're, we're told about. Um, the, the situation is brought up. If there's a brother who's in sin, what are you to do? Um, you're to go to him. One, one brother to another, <laughs> um, re- repent, brother. What's going on here? Let's talk. And if there's no repentance, you're to take another person with you from the church, another uh, brother in the Lord, call that man to repentance. Still, if there's no repentance, um, what are you to do? You're to tell it to the 
you're to tell it to the church, right? Um, and if still there is no repentance after the church collectively confronts uh, him, then he is to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, Matthew eighteen seventeen. And so, you know, you might not notice it here, but it's a very important thing to notice that the buck stops with the church. It's the right. responsibility of the church to do discipline, which is really its its most serious operation. Um, uh, the same point could be made from 1 Corinthians 5, 4 through 5. We're told, when you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present. This is Paul writing. So, so when you are assembled, who is he talking to here? He's talking to the Corinthians. And when you come together as a church, as a local congregation, with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What is being re- referenced here except uh, the end stages of church discipline? I guess we should talk about church discipline someday too, right? Yeah. We're just kind yeah. of broaching that very difficult <laughs> but important subject here on the fly. Um, but the point being made right now is that church discipline is probably the most uh, – um, I don't know if important is the right word, but certainly um, it's a serious – it's the most serious matter that a church engages in when it comes to its responsibility for its members, right? Mm-hmm. And, and where does the buck stop? Well – it's it's the congregation assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus that is to hand a man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Notice, by the way, I'll say this about discipline. It's for to this end so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. It, it's right. a loving thing, but it's the responsibility of the congregation. Um, so, so that's my way of, of, of getting at the issue here that consistently in the New Testament we see that authority resides not within some denomination or not within some presbytery ultimately, but it resides within the church itself. Um, Of course, God is our supreme authority. Uh, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We acknowledge that. The word of God is our authority for truth coming to us from from God. That, That is all true, but it is up to the church to apply uh, the, these principles and to be led by Christ in a local, local context. We think, you know, does that make sense? What I'm getting at here? Yeah. So, as people might be listening, is thinking like, who cares? This is so, you know, non-important. It, I'm telling you, it gets really important <laughs> uh, over time. It gets really important. I was just talking to someone in our church um, last Sunday, and they were talking about a situation that they're aware of, and uh, where, where there's a th- a th- doctrinal uh, controversy in a church that they know about. It's it's disconnected from us. This isn't gossip. You wouldn't know uh, the situation. Um, but there's some doctrinal controversy and the people are wanting to go in a particular direction, but the denomination owns the building. You, you see what I'm saying? And, and so the denomination has great power over this little flock, though they are of a certain mind theologically. It's the people who, you know, own the facility that have tremendous power over the direction that that church goes mm. from this day forward. Um, really, we feel it, it is better that the people of God, along with the, the, the leadership that has been appointed in that church, work through doctrinal issues without that thing, that, 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 that external thing looming large over them. You know, I've seen it time and time again. I, I mean, I, I love my Presbyterian brothers. I do. Um, 
we agree on so many things, the, the reformed and conservative ones. You know, We agree on so many things doctrinally. They insist upon a Presbyterian form of government, but at the same time, I've seen it go really wrong time and time again You know, to where a local church has what it takes to kind of work through some challenges and difficulties, and yet because there is this external um, body, this external government that doesn't really have a sense as to what's going on on the ground – um, you know, the, the, they're dictating what's to happen in that local context in a way that doesn't seem to be quite right. Mm-hmm. And I get it, brothers. Um, I don't know if we have any Presbyterians listening. I highly doubt it. But if you are a Presbyterian listener, I, I get it that there are good Presbyterians and there are bad ones. And there are – I understand. But I'm just trying to illustrate um, the importance of this conversation here, uh, at least to our people, uh, that – uh, we we have to be careful with this. It has very practical outworkings and implications. I will say this though: I don't think ultimately it should be pragmatism which drives us to our conclusion about whether denominations or associations are appropriate. And what I mean by that, I don't think the question ultimately is what works best. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is instead, uh, what do we see in the scriptures? Do we see denominations and presbyteries in the scriptures or do we see local churches with elders and deacons and members um, existing in an independent way but yet deeply connected to one another in other ways? I I just don't see the biblical warrant for presbyteries or denominations in the New Testament. Instead, I see uh, the warrant for associations as as we've been talking about here. and so I think the, the New Testament evidence is that the buck stops with the local church. I don't see any higher form of government, government presented to us in the New Testament. But that does not mean that local churches are to be purely independent. So we've made a case for two things right now. Pure independence? No. Clearly there's interaction between churches, significant interaction, meaningful and deep connections between uh, churches one with another. Uh, but nevertheless, the buck stops with the local church. Okay, those two principles. The London Baptist Confession, I think, is so helpful here. It's it's a very important chapter in our confession, chapter 26. Um, if you want to compare the London Baptist Confession to the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, this is where the biggest difference is. Uh, this is where one of the biggest differences is, uh, you know, is um, found. Um, of course, the Westminster Confession of Faith is a, a Presbyterian document. It has a Presbyterian form of government presented in it, whereas this uh, confession, the London Baptist Confession, is presenting associationalism as we're talking about here. So you look at chapter 26, um, and the whole chapter is very important. Uh, there's some words said about um, the the universal church. So there is the local church, of course, but there is also the universal church, which is uh, built up on uh, all those who are in Christ throughout the world. Uh, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That's a very important concept here. Um, I think that word in paragraph four is meant to counter that which um, Rome has be- has believed for a long time, that the Pope is the head of the church. Uh, no, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. But in paragraph six, uh, we're told that the members of these churches are saints by calling visibly manifesting and evidencing in and by their profession and walking their obedience unto that call of Christ and do willingly consent to walk together or to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving up themselves to the Lord and to one another by the will of God 
and profess subjection to the ordinance of the gospel. So we're to walk together in local churches. That's why we have a membership process so that that can happen in a significant way, right? Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. – people are encouraged to become members of Emmaus Christian Fellowship, right? Um, these churches are to gather together. I'm looking at paragraph 7 here. And he hath given all that power and authority which is in any way needful for the carrying on that order and worship and discipline which he hath instituted for them to observe with commands and rules for the due and right exerting and executing of that power. What is paragraph 7 saying except for that the local church itself with its members and its officers has all that it needs to get the job done? That's what uh, chapter 26, paragraph 7 is saying. The local church has all that it needs to govern itself and, and, to, and to operate. Um, paragraph 8 is important. It identifies the fact that there are officers and members, so members of the church and elders and deacons. Um, paragraph 9 talks about how it is that a bishop or elder or, or pastor is to be appointed. A pastor is to be appointed by the church. Uh, by the common suffrage of the church. That means the church is to decide who its pastors, elders, and elders are, uh, and, and, and they are to uh, choose their elders and be committed to um, them. <laughs> That's the way it should be, right? The, the people in the church know one another and are in the right position to identify those who are called by God to serve in that capacity. I'm getting to it here. Um, But eventually in paragraph 15, the very end of it, here's where we finally get to the doctrine of associations. Um, Much has been said about the church and the whole chapter, but paragraph 15 finally gets to the issue of associations. It says, in cases of difficulties or differences... Yes, difficulties and differences do arise in local churches from time to time. That should not be a shocker to you. We are uh, people, and we are sinful people, and we struggle from time to time. So difficulties and differences do arise either in points of doctrine or administration, so doctrine, theology, or uh, the, 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 the workings of the church, mm-hmm. Uh, wherein either the churches in general are concerned or any one church in their peace, union, and edification, or any member or members of any church are injured in or by any proceedings and censures not agreeable to truth and order. Okay, what is that saying? Even if a member of a local church finds that they have been injured by the leadership of that church. That also happens, by the way. We just We've been talking about church discipline a little bit. Sometimes church discipline is done horribly wrong. Right. So what is a member of a local church to do if the elders of that church have treated them in an abusive way? Are they just, you know, tough, dude, nowhere else to go, no one to appeal to? I don't think so. That's not right. They should be able to appeal to to, to, to something mm-hmm. uh, for help and a difficult situation like that, what are they to do? Well, it says here it is according to the mind of Christ that many churches holding communion together, so many churches holding communion together do by their messengers meet to consider and give their advice in or about that matter in difference to be reported to all the churches concerned. Okay, so 
local churches are to hold communion together with other local churches. And uh, if one church is struggling, they can appeal to other churches for help, help us. You know, we're struggling with this doctrinal issue or we have this controversy or we're struggling financially or we need wisdom or a member of a local church can say to the association churches, will you help because our pastor has gone off the rails and he's acting like a tyrant. Will you come and give advice and help? And I think that is that is the biblical principle being communicated mm-hmm. here. Um, but it says here, howbeit these messengers assembled are not in, entrusted with any church power properly so called. Right. So the other the other churches or the elders of the other churches do not really have power over that local congregation in a proper sense, but they um, uh, can uh, give advice, right? They can make judgments. Um, they can, in fact, disassociate with that particular local church and make it known publicly as to why they're disassociated. That's the power that an association right. church has over another association church, right? Is they have the power of disfellowship, um, but they don't have the power to step in and to remove elders or pastors and to appoint new ones or to own the property of another church and so on and so forth. You get what, do you get the feeling here? Yeah. That that's really what's being laid down, I think, in the confession is this principle of uh, honoring the authority and independence of a local congregation, but doing so in such a way where we hold legitimate and meaningful communion together with other congregations. And that's beneficial for so many reasons. And one of them is just the issue of accountability and support in times in times of difficulty. That was a pretty long explanation, wasn't it, to how do associations differ from denominations, but hopefully people have the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good. So why the Southern California Association of Reformed Baptist Churches? Of all the different associations we've, uh, I kind of said that fast, but. <laughs> no, you got it. Um, uh, why, you know, Scar why BC. Not, why not, uh, um, I'm can't even remember the other one. Why not some other? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to try to name a bunch of ones. Um, yeah, but why this one in particular? I think there are a number of really good associations out there. I really do. Um, well, you know, I guess part of it is they're local. Um, right. Southern California local. That's good. Well, the, we should talk about ARBCA, another acronym. Right. That, one, that acronym works. ARBCA, you can actually say the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America. Um, the Southern California Associate, Association and ARBCA are not the same thing. They're two totally separate entities. But most of the Southern California churches, if not all right now, are also in ARBCA. It may be something that we look into. I'm hoping to go to the ARBCA General Assembly here in April um, back in uh, Illinois. Um it may be something we look into um, because they share such such common things um, and, and ARBCA is much bigger and there's other benefits of being a part of that I think. But anyways, what, what I'm trying to say is the, the advice from everyone was, okay, maybe look into ARBCA eventually but why not look into SCAR BC first because it is local. These are the churches that are around you within – you know, a hundred miles of you or less or something. Mm-hmm. So that, that's important, but there are other associations too. Um, for me, um, when I look at SCAR BC and these churches, it, it, there's a high agreement on doctrine. 
between Emmaus Christian Fellowship and these other churches. They they have the 1689 Confession as kind of their uh, as their core doc, document. The Word of God is our authority for truth. Amen. <laughs> you know, but uh, the thing that binds these association churches together is um, agreement upon the 1689 Confession. Saying this is what we believe the Scriptures to be teaching on these important issues. Um, there are other associations that call themselves Reformed or even Calvinistic. Uh, it's wonderful. They, uh, as I've looked in upon them, though, they don't seem to have the same degree of agreement on doctrinal issues. Uh, their, their doctrinal statements are a bit more vague, and, and that's fine. They've decided that that's the right way to go for them. But for me, I was attracted to the high degree of continuity that would exist between Emmaus Christian Fellowship in these churches. I think with with more agreement on doctrine, um, that provides the opportunity for more deep fellowship and partnership on many things. You know, that, that's one reason. I also noticed that they take the association seriously. That's my impression of them. Um, this bond that that they have together it, it's something that they really value and they take seriously, even to the point of being willing to debate about things, you know, and banter about things. Um, This really has to do with Arbka and not Scar BC technically, but one of the reasons it took us so long to jump in uh, to to, to Scar BC is because Arbka, um, for the last year and a half, maybe even two years, has been in the midst of a theological controversy. Okay, and again, these are two separate things, but they're very connected because all of the SoCal churches currently, I think, are in Arca. So it, it's connected. Uh, we as elders, and, and I think I in particular, I, I've gone to the General Assemblies for the Arca um, uh, in the past. We're just taking our time to watch, like, how how do these guys handle themselves in the midst of controversy? Okay, on the one hand, I'm going, okay, that they're having some controversy is probably a good sign in a way because it actually means they care about this stuff. If there's never any like disagreement, if there's never any bantering and, you know, um, that kind of, you know, you might see that as purely good, but it, it actually reveals that maybe they don't really care about this stuff very much, you know? So the controversy in a way is like, okay, this is good. We also had to decide, well, where do we land on this theological issue? Um, do, do we land on this side or that? I'm not going to get into that right now, but um, okay, so that's something we had to look at. But the other thing that I was looking at it was um, how do they treat one another in the midst of controversy? Right. Okay, so it's one thing to sit down with family and say, hey, we got this issue we need to work out. Um, that that can be very healthy as long as love prevails. But if people get nasty, that's that's a real concern to me. Um, but over the process of time, I, I noticed that, hey, they, 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 they take doctrine seriously. They take truth seriously. They take the association seriously enough to have serious conversations about serious things. But they seem to have pulled it off in a way where brotherly love really prevailed and there was a lot of humility and stuff. So all of that combined, I just found myself drawn to these these folks. And I say I because, I mean, I, I was spearheading this, I think, and right? Mm-hmm. I and mean, you were in yeah. all these meetings. We've talked about it as an elder team uh, the deacons have been involved too. We, we've talked about it a ton, but I've been going to a lot of stuff, and as have some of the other elders mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, I just we we have we agree on truth. Um, we agree on 
the need for association. They, they take it seriously. Brotherly love, humility seems to me to prevail. There's a real depth and substance to these guys that I appreciate. I've been to some of their pastor's conference. Actually, my wife and I have gone to three in a row, I think, the, the pastor's conference that the Southern California Church has put on. Mm. They're rich and meaty. I love it. You can find audio from it online, I think, but great stuff coming from them. And I say this jokingly from time to time, but I'm also kind of serious. Whenever I hang around these guys, no one ever asks me the question, hey, how big is your church? (laughs) (laughs) And it might sound like a little thing, but I have grown so sick of just that whole emphasis upon like, that's all that matters is that you have a big congregation and as if that's the objective to grow a church big, they don't, they don't talk about that, you know? I mean, they want, they want to know what to have in their mind when they picture Emmaus Christian Fellowship, and that's fine, you know, how many people are there. And so that might come up from time to time, but it's it's in a totally different way than what I've been used to in the past to where, like, that's the first question. Hey, how big's your church? Is it growing? You know? Right. <laughs> I, As if numbers is the measure of success, and that's that's a shows a little bit about... Okay, yeah, I'm telling you, it, there, yeah. there's an agreement on the philosophy of ministry then. That's what I'm trying to get at, yeah. that they get it, that... That, that being a good pastor does not always equal big numbers. It has more to do with faithfulness to the word and doing ministry with people well and in a biblical fashion. And in some contexts, you know, that does not equate to rapid growth. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't always go that way. There There are times when good, faithful um, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting ministry means decline. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that happened. So anyways, it, it might sound like a small thing, but I'm telling you, it um, it, it just – it really attracted me to these guys because I'm going, okay, we agree theologically, but we also seem to have the same heart and mind in regard to um, philosophy of ministry and what it means to have ministry success. Okay. Th- these guys are down to earth. I really think so. I mean, they're actually a lot of them are quite intelligent and involved in academic things, but they're 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 down to earth people, you know. And I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you talked about a little bit about accountability, benefits of accountability, and um, like advice between various elders of various churches in, in an association. But what other things do we hope to get out of the association? What are some other benefits? Um. I, I hope we're encouraged by these other churches. Uh, I hope our people go to the worship gatherings on a Sunday night. And I mean, just just simply showing up and saying, hey, there's other people like us in Southern California. That's encouraging and to be encouraged by their the, the preaching that's there and the worship and, and all of that. Accountability is huge. I've already touched upon it. You're right. I guess I don't need to say much more about that. I, I, I've already tapped in to other men in the association for advice on things um, time and time again. Well, um, we, we talked about even uh, the capitalization of a word spirit with another person <laughs> in the association. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? why? Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, no, but I, I've called other pastors who I know have studied on, on certain issues a lot, you know, and asked for their advice on, on a theological matter. We've gone to uh, another church for help in a pastoral issue in the past too. Hey, we, we have this difficult circumstance. Would you come alongside Man, that that's that's awesome, you know. Yeah. So it's a, it, that's not accountability we're talking about as much as it is like just real practical support. Sure, um, you know, uh, 
we're doing well in, in many ways right now at Emmaus. I, I know that there, there's a church that's been struggling financially and other association churches have helped out. And there's been a church that's been without a pastor for a while and other churches have sent what they call pul- pulpit supply, meaning uh, either the pastor or men who have been approved to preach. They, they'll go and fill the pulpit there for years sometimes, you know, until mm-hmm. a solution can be found to, to hire a pastor. Um, you know, we don't need that now necessarily, but um, there may come a day where we need that sort of help, financial or otherwise. Um, but, I, you know, I do hope that we partner in missions and church planting efforts. It is our desire to always engage in, in foreign missions and to also engage in local missions in the form of church planting. I mean, and it'd be great to have your association that believes the same things and yeah. is on the same foundation and makes that such an easy thing to be right. able to pull from a bigger pool of, mm-hmm. of people that would be, you know, uh, excited about doing something like that. Well, I did an interview with John DeVito, who uh, was looking to go with African Pastors Conference. We need to do an update on that, by the way. But um, uh, how did I meet him? It was at the Southern California Association of Reformed Baptist Churches, their pastors conference that they had earlier in the fall. I met John DeVito there, who comes from a church that was part of ARBCA. And I mean, you get what I'm saying. You, yeah. you you start linking up with people and you go, hey, we have the same mind and the same heart, same philosophy of ministry. You're trying to do this. Let's get behind you, man. You know, that makes sense. And so, yeah, we're, we're hoping that we um, are able to partner in that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it was funny. I, I went and preached down at Christ Reformed Baptist Church a little while ago and um, Dr. Renahan was there listening to me teach during the Sunday school hour and it wasn't really teaching as much as it was sharing about Emmaus Christian Fellowship. And then there was a time of Q&A at the end, and um, the question he decided to ask me and put me on the spot was, well, what do you hope to contribute to the association? And I was kind of caught off guard. I'm like, oh, geez, you know. Um, I, I think the reason I had a difficult time answering that question is because I think it'll take time for us to discover what it is that we will be able to contribute particularly. I mean, obviously we hope to contribute to the association the exact same way that I've just described uh, accountability, encouragement in general, uh, partnership and missions and church planning, that sort of stuff, obviously. Um, but I think I would imagine as we get to know the association, um, and as we come to identify some of the needs in it and we see our own giftedness or our own ability exactly. to respond, then particular things are going to come. It's hard for me to – I guess what I'm saying is it's hard for me to anticipate how we are going right. to contribute. But um, our mindset is definitely to contribute when, right. when opportunities arise. You know, and That's another beautiful thing about the idea of associations is identifying the, the – personality i guess of each church you know Mm -hmm. the what what they do well what they um can help with and what we can then help with as as our identity as a church right um so it is interesting i'm going to these other association churches the the culture of the churches is quite a bit different than the culture of ours at least i I haven't been to all of them but i've found that to be true um i'm kind of interested to see how our folks respond when they go to the quarterly gathering the worship gathering um, because it's it's traditional, it's out of the hymnal, it's piano accompaniment, you know, and and uh, not a cappella. I haven't seen that yet, but I think some of the churches do sing a cappella. So the worship style is a bit different, and and uh, we have a pretty traditional liturgy, but it, it's kind of packaged in a bit of a more of a modern right flair, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that's something I remember talking to the guys in the association about early on, uh, just saying. Hey, what about that? You know, is that going to be a problem? And all of them reassured me that no, that's not the issue. I mean, we would definitely want 
to encourage you to sing rich songs and theologically rich songs and accurate songs and songs that are meant to lift up God and not man-centered and all of that stuff. But, you know, they all assured me that the style of music wasn't, wasn't an issue. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be good for the people of Emmaus to kind of see something different Yeah, yeah. and, and to also be willing to say, well, that's not us exactly, but we have substantial unity, substantial agreement in in Christ and in and in, in the Word of God. That's what matters. Right. That's what matters. Right. You know. Um, so I think that'll be healthy for us. Right. Yeah. Well, what is the best way for the people of Emmaus to get to know the other churches? I think that's an important question as we've been talking about. Identities. For, yeah, the first thing to do is probably to go to uh, scarbc.org. So S-C-A-R-B-C dot org. It's a very simple, basic website. Um, but there, the member, the current member churches are listed. Mm-hmm. Uh, With all and, their websites and information. Yeah, you can go to their yeah. website. So you can fish around. That's one thing to do. Um, I do hope that our people attend the worship gathering on March 13th at 5 p.m. at Trinity Reformed Baptist Church. It's a bit of a drive, but let's make let's make a trip out it's of like it. It's like an hour and a half from us, right? Yeah, it's not too yeah, bad. On a Sunday night, freeway should be good, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be fun for us to carpool down there and to, to be there. That That's huge because then you'll meet people, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you'll hear preaching and we'll sing together. And uh, I think they take an offering there at that um, gathering. Yeah, by the way, there's no dues or association fees, uh, but the only way the association has the money that it has is by that voluntary offering that they take at these gatherings. Uh, so, you know, they, they encourage people to never um, take away from their normal giving to their local church, but if they feel led to give above and beyond to help with some of the costs that the association has, then they can they can contribute yeah. there. And the costs that the association has are pretty small, actually. That's um, another great benefit of the association, just the idea that it's not about having this huge overhead of a no, no, of another no. cost. Yeah. The, the the money goes to helping out other churches, pulpit mm-hmm. supply, mm-hmm. um stuff like that. Yeah. You know. It's great. But I do hope this is this is our plan at least and I hope it comes about. Uh, we would love to interview the pastors of these churches on this podcast uh in the future. Yeah. They don't know that yet, so I hope they agree to it. <laughs> but I thought that would be it would be cool for me to do um Cool for you to be a part of. Also great for the people of Amaze to hear. I, I'd like to go and, and meet with these pastors one at a time and even to see where it is that they're ministering. I, I think it'd be helpful for us to travel to them, to bring the stuff and to have lunch with them and then to do an interview. You know, hey, tell us about yourself, testimony. Uh, when did the church start? What You know, just yeah. what, what is life like here in this community? How can we pray for you kind of stuff? So that's our objective is to to get around to each of the association churches Eventually. And of course, that is all assuming that we're received in, you right. know, <laughs> <laughs> Which hopefully we'll find I don't know. Out here soon we enough. might have a follow up episode on uh, March the 10th that says uh, <laughs> scratch that. Uh, but no, I, I just um, I, I really don't see foresee there being any any problems, but it's not it's not finalized yet, which is why I speak this way. So Lord willing, Lord yeah. willing. We will come into this association and we will get to these podcasts and we will, uh, um, yeah, have this connection with brothers and sisters in Christ and other churches. Maybe I should say this real quick before we close because it just came to my mind. We have connection with brothers and sisters in Christ 
uh, in churches all around this valley and all around this region and all around this globe. I mean, we, we, we're not denying that. It's not as if we're only connected to these churches, right? Uh, I'm happy to call uh, people brothers and sisters in Christ in churches throughout the San Jacinto Valley and to meet with and to pray with and to encourage pastors in churches throughout the San Jacinto Valley. That, that's not going away, right? right. That, that's not going away at all. Um, but what this is, I think, is an attempt to gather together with those who are very much like-minded right. so that there can be a greater depth of partnership. Yeah, absolutely. I preached a sermon this past Sunday on John 17, 20 through 26, the very end of Jesus, what is often called high priestly prayer. He's praying for unity, right? I pray that they are one just as you and I, Father, are one, what Jesus is talking about. The main point I was trying to drive home throughout that sermon, I don't know if I did so effectively though, is that there has to be glue which binds people together if they're to be bound together. And the glue, the kind of glue and the strength of that glue is going to determine the depth of the bond that exists between right. people, right? right? So I use an illustration. There's a different depth of bond between uh, neighbors and a husband and a wife, and thankfully so. They're not to be the same thing. You know, there's a, It's a different kind of unity. And the thing that makes the unity that exists between neighbors and a husband and wife different is the kind of bond that exists between the two of them. The one is a neighborly bond. The other one is a, um, a marital bond. Uh, there's more substance to the marital bond. Therefore, the depth of unity is deeper uh, between a husband and wife. So it is, I think, with associations. Um, I'm happy to call um, uh, Christians around the world and in this valley brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're trying to establish a real deep bond with these who are very much like-minded um, concerning the truth of God's word. So yeah. that's uh, that's the idea here. Um yeah, we're excited about it. It's a, it. I mean, when I think about it, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge moment for us as a church. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's been creeping up on us for five years in a way, you know. So it almost doesn't seem that extreme, or or, or it's it's not abrupt, but it, it's a big moment. It, it's us moving from being in practice purely independent to right. to us being a part of an association, and um, so I'm I'm happy and. Uh, uh, I'm excited about it. Thankful that the Lord has brought us to this point. Oh yeah, it's been cool to see all the all the research that the elders have done. You know, all of us have done as leadership and as a, as a, the church, the members of the church. You know, all the the study that, that the whole Church of Mace has put in over mm-hmm. the years to get to this point. Yeah, it's been a very good. Yeah, thing. If, if you're listening to this and assuming this is the first thing I've said about it to our people, that that would be. A mistake. I mean, we right. have brought it up for years. We've provided books. Uh, there's been other teaching on it. Um, the people of Emmaus have had a, a a long time to stew over these things and to mm-hmm. ask questions and, and all of that. Yeah. So yeah. it's been neat, really neat process. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, that concludes this episode of Confessing the Faith. And thanks for listening in. Until next time, abide in Christ. <laughs> <laughs>